There has been a message that has been on my heart as we've been studying through First uh, Corinthians with our young adults on Friday night, where I believe the Lord has really been um, challenging me, helping me to understand more of what the church is and why it exists, why our gatherings matter. And um, we're going to be looking at that this morning. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And to start off, I'm going to read a good chunk of it to you guys. But our, our focus will be on verses 12 through 27 this morning. So 1 Corinthians 12. And um, let's read. Starting at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. So the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it instructs us to understand the things that you have designed, Lord, that you have created. Father, I pray that you would uh, open up our understanding of your word this morning. That, uh, Lord, even my own words would not clog up what you want to say through the Spirit. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bless this time that we have now in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been on a plane or a train? Can I see a show of hands? Almost everybody, right? What do you have in common with the, same, with the people on that plane? Maybe you're going to the same location, right? Maybe you have a stopover, but you have to all go to that one place. We typically look at the other passengers as just random people who happen to be going to the same place as us, right? You never really are like, hey, you know, you're meant to be here to, you know, for me, right? No, we're all heading in the same direction. You know, I, I had this experience when Heather and I were living in Britain. Actually, by the way, I, I know maybe there's some newer people here. I should introduce myself. I've got... I get ahead of myself. I see all the familiar faces. I'm, my name is Kyle Vaughn. I'm one of the assisting pastors here. Pastor Greg, um, our lead pastor, is out sick, as I had already shared. But my wife and I, Heather, had the privilege of being able to serve here in Calvary Chapel uh, Fellowship. And um, a while back, uh, Heather and I were out in, uh, we had gone out to Wales when Pastor Greg had planted a church in Swansea, Wales. And after I had finished Bible college and we had already been married, we went over to Swansea, Wales to come alongside the ministry there and support. And so Heather and I, we, you know, we spent some time traveling. Our, our firstborn son, uh, he was born over there. And uh, we'd have to take the bus sometimes from all the way from Swansea, Wales into London to go to the um, American embassy there. Especially when Michael was born. I had to go get his passport. I had to go get his paperwork. I had to report his birth abroad. That he was an American citizen. He was just born in another country. But we'd have to go on these long bus rides or train rides. Uh, the train was a little bit better. But the bus was usually the affordable option that we had to take. And we would be on this four hour or so drive from Swansea, Wales to London. And you'd be crammed into this bus with all these people. Not everybody was going to London. Some were stopping off at various cities along the way. But you'd find yourself in this great mix of people. And oftentimes when we find ourselves in those situations, we might be able to find 
somebody or something that really annoys us or kind of gets under our skin. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have this lovely, wonderful little old lady come onto the, the bus and in the middle of the drive, as you're already dealing with nausea from being on this bus, open up her sack lunch and bust out this nice, juicy egg salad sandwich that would just, the fumes of this wonderfully onion and eggy and thing would just permeate the air and you would think to yourself, am I ever going to get to London? Because this is really difficult right now. You know, but when we take these trips, we can't help who our co-passengers are. And I think sometimes we approach the church in this way. And we, we come to church sometimes on a Sunday and or we're, we're visiting a church or we make our view of church where we're just going to this place because this is where Jesus is being taught and I'm going to be there to hear God's word taught. I'm going to the same destination as the rest of these people. But these people don't necessarily have any impact in my life. Or you come in and you're like, oh, they're kind of nerdy here. Or, you know, they're awkward when they're, you know, I, I got to go to another place and try to find something new. Something, somewhere I fit in. And really, I bring this all up because I think this is the wrongest way that we can view the church. You know, how do you view church? Is, just, is this just a Sunday morning bus ride where you don't have any real correlation with the people around you other than the destination? Are you coming this morning because you love Jesus and want to follow his word? And want to know why you're here. You see, God is the creator of his church, and he has designed it and comprised it of many different spiritually gifted people. A proper understanding about the church's composition will have a great impact on how you, you, you view yourself, not only, but also others as a part of the church. Giving focus to our common calling to be the body of Christ in the world. So let's look at verse 12 of our text today. Paul is explaining the church and the uses of the gifts of the Spirit by way of an analogy. He's using the body, something that we are all very familiar with because we all inhabit one, right? And he's going to use this analogy to, des to describe the church. He says in verse 12, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. 
And we were all given to one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So Paul starts off in this first verse, and he says that he uses, or he's using this body example to explain Christ. That always caught my attention. Okay, with Christ, like, yeah, he had a body in, you know, the literal sense, and, but he's using this to describe something more. You see, in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, Paul is confronted by Jesus. And Paul, going by his uh, Jewish name of Saul, was at this time still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him so that he might go into the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way or of you know, any Christians, followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You see, Paul had this encounter with Jesus in, the, in reality. He saw Jesus physically before him. And Jesus had made this comment to Paul that, hey, it's not the way or the church that, or the Christians that you're persecuting. You're actually persecuting me. And so Paul learned a very fundamental truth that the church is Christ's body in the world. And that's how Jesus viewed it. Jesus viewed that the persecutions that were happening against the church were happening against him. And so Paul begins to, this shaped Paul's theology of the church and how he goes on to explain the church to the Corinthians who were dealing with divisions and and sins that were just permeating this fellowship. So by using Christ this way, Paul is speaking of the church. He says it again in verse 27. He, these are two bookends to a message that he's giving. If you look at verse 27 real quick, it says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Paul is revealing to the church at Corinth that they as the church are the body of Christ in the world. And so we might ask, you know, how are the many members of the church made into one body? And Paul answers that. He says, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, we are baptized into one body. The day that we began to trust Jesus... For our salvation, the Bible says that we receive the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. We were born again. We have new life. And even the motives of our heart have changed. We want to do what pleases Him, what honors Him. And it's the Spirit 
that is the one that does the baptizing. And the result is a placement in the body. It's a baptism of unification by the distribution of appropriate and varied gifts to every member of the body. This is different to the baptism by water, which is proclaiming death with Christ and new life with him. And so the spirit is the one who creates the church. And the church is created by the followers of Jesus being empowered by the spirit with various gifts. The baptism uh, of the spirit included people from all ethnicities and stations of life. These were major dividing points at the time, at the church's time. You see, you would have different gatherings that could be comprised of, of, you know, different stations in life, especially in the Greek world. They would have banquets and, you know, varying stations. uh, People would be brought in. But what they would do is they would show honor to the really the most, you know, important people. They put them at the head of the table, give them the really good food, you know, give them the best wine. They would be honored. They were the honored guests. And then others would come along, but they would kind of be giving, you know, the leftovers, maybe the subpar ingredients. And there was definitely favoritism shown in these gatherings. And even with the Jewish background and mindset, as they would uh, seek to separate themselves from Gentiles. If you weren't Jew, you were Gentile. That meant every other uh, ethnicity and nation, nation, nation group that were out there were separated. And, and they started taking God's word and turning it into a thing that would keep them separate from all people. Rather than being uh, that which would bless the nations. And so there was this move of the spirit that was so opposed to what the world was doing and that people from all over were being baptized with the spirit and they were then being invited into this this church, this body of believers. People equipped to minister to one another, as we read earlier on in the chapter. But sometimes, you know, these kinds of divisions still occur today. We get hung up on things where we can't fellowship with another believer. Or we, uh, we see so many different denominations that are broken up because we believe you have to baptize in this certain way and you can't baptize this way. The church is not to look like the world around it, divided by political parties, divided by different nuances of of culture. We see here that the spirit is the common denominator when it comes to the adding of people to the church. And Paul echoes this. I mean, this is what echoes what Paul said in verse Three that we read earlier. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we have people that are confessing Christ as their Savior. And that can only happen by the Spirit of God. 
So the church, we need to understand, is one body comprised of many different people who have been brought together by the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation of the church right there. So how do we function in this? How do we function in diversity? How do we approach all these varying things that we bring to the table that the Spirit draws together? Look at verse 15 here. It says, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. So Paul's going to address the many parts. You see, now, as a part of the church, we encounter people with different roles or different spiritual gifts. And there is a temptation involved in that to compare ourselves with one another. I can't stand up there and teach like Pastor Greg. So I'm really useless here. And maybe I shouldn't even try to attempt to lead a Bible study because I can't teach like Pastor Greg can. Or you see somebody functioning in the way that God had called them and compare yourself to think that because you don't share that particular gift, your place in the church is not important. But Paul would say that's not true. He uses the analogy, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Would it not for that reason stop being part of the body? See what he says there? Just because you're different and you think that you are not part of the body, you don't cease from being part of the body. If the Spirit of God is in you, you are part of the body, the church. And God has called you to fulfill a particular role within it. Even if the ear says, hey, I'm not an eye, so I don't belong to the body. No, it doesn't stop being an eye or an ear, sorry. It is an ear, and it belongs to the body. Paul confronts these thoughts of comparison by teasing it out in his illustration. He says if the body were all the same member, it couldn't be a body. And what God has created is a body. Paul says God had placed the members in the church, each one of them, as he desired. So we learned that we are placed here because God has desired it. We have been gifted in a particular way because God has designed it that to be. There has to be a diversity of spiritual gifts, a diversity of peoples, of different backgrounds and social, economical places. There has to be. That's an amazing truth to understand. We are not here by accident. Each one of you are not here by accident. If you are a born-again Christian and God has led you to this church... It is for a reason. He has placed 
He has a place for you and has given you the gifting to operate within his church. Now, the question to ask ourselves is, are we doing so? Are you using the gifts that God has given you to encourage the church? Remember, that's what he said is for the edification of everyone, for the common good. Are you using them? Have you given in to the temptation to compare yourself to others? Don't lose sight of the gospel. God has saved you for a reason, not just to go to heaven. That's the reward. But he has saved you and made you a part of Jesus, Jesus's body in this world. You remember, Jesus's body was broken for us. So that you could be made a part of it. And he has given you a spiritual gifting to use in the church. I just love that. I can't get over that truth that in verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Man, what a truth. You think about that. Look around you. Every one of these people are here. Every one of us are a part of a body. Because God has put us here. We all have a different thing, different calling, different gift that God has called us to. This has really challenged me in a lot of ways. I've, I've grown up in the church. I've always had this, you know, experience with church. I've, I've seen it operate in really good ways. I've seen it operate in really bad ways. And I don't think I ever stopped to really consider every single part. And I mean every single person. As much as I have lately, as the Lord has been just leading me through uh, 1 Corinthians and dealing, how Paul is dealing with the different uh, things in that church. And then him just laying down the groundwork for the church. That every single person, that we have to look at each other with value. And see that God has brought every single one here. There is something that God wants to do with that person that you're sitting next to. And what, a, what more of a stirring to want to get to know them and where they're from. And how they met Jesus. To linger a little bit longer after church and fellowship with somebody that you have never met before. And to find out, oh, how did you arrive here? You know, how were you saved? What has God been showing you through his word? And then just seeing how the spirit might work. Every single person that I'm looking at, I'm just gazing over everybody. There's people in this room that have blessed me tremendously by their ministry. I've received from them. And I pray that I've been a blessing to them as well. But everybody, every single person has something to give. Something God has drawn them to this church for. 
Paul calls the church to unity, care through unity. As we continue on in, in verse 21. It says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have need, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. As the part of the church, we can't look at another person or gifting and think that they are any less important or not needed. No one part is of more value than another, nor is one part meant to live without the other. He uses the example of the eye saying to the hand, hey, you're not like me, so I don't, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Look at you. I just walk on you all day long. <laughs> you know, I don't need you. No one part is more valuable than the other. You know, take the heart, for example. The heart's inside here in our chest. And if something happens with our heart, the rest of our body can't get the oxygen and the blood flow that it needs. But if I take this heart and I just set it out right on the table, it's a pretty gruesome look, right? There's blood everywhere, and just kind of flopping around. But despite how weird that might look, it is one of the most important parts of my body. Take the liver, for example, the good old filter of the body. All the junk filters right through there, and it helps sort it all out. Sets out all the toxins, gets all the things out of your body so that you can get rid of them. The liver does a great job, but it's a messy job. It's an extremely important part of our body. So, what are some of the reasons we'd be tempted to look at another person and think we don't need them. Well, one would be that we are deeming certain gifts of greater value than others. You know, some people put a big emphasis on the pastor and maybe despise the one who's cleaning the church each week. Just because a ministry is very visible does not make it greater than any other one. I might confess that it's honestly it's pretty hard for me to to be up on stage all, on a whole Sunday. I like being able to come down and sit and hear the teaching. I enjoy teaching, but I would love to enjoy teaching with somebody else that leads worship. And I'm so thankful for the people that serve on the worship team with me. 
to make worship beautiful for everyone else. I couldn't do what I do without the support of many. And I thank them. But just because this is a visual spot does not make it any more important than the people that arrive every Sunday or Saturday morning and are praying for people as they uh, come through the parking lot. It is not more important than, a, than the people that are downstairs teaching the children and pouring God's word into them. God has called us all to do various things in the church, and not one thing is greater than the other. We might be tempted, tempted to do this, to judge others, because we look at them and we see them as weaker in the faith, thus less important. Maybe they're a newer follower of Jesus and there's still things that he is working out in their lives or situations that they are needing to be brought through. The reality is that we're all in that place. God is working out things in our lives constantly. And we need to be able to have patience with those that are newer to the faith and that are growing in their faith. That's where somebody with the gift of of encouragement might be able to, to disciple somebody that is weaker. That's where somebody who was newer to the faith might excel in a certain ministry because they just have the joy of the Lord. Unlike some of us that are older and are, you know, little grumpy about it (laughs) sometimes we can look at somebody's age maybe we could be tempted to see well that person's older maybe they, they can't do all of this I'll just take care of it or maybe this person's younger can I really trust them with this ministry we have a limited view of why God has placed them in the church and what for God has um, gifted young people just as much as he has us middle-aged folk. And he, has a, he doesn't stop using people as they grow into their later years. There is a place in the body for everyone that God has called, it to, called to it. Sorry. All of these things are examples of our propensity to make an estimation of another person in the church. Paul says these things, says even these things make no difference, that that the difference is that every part is indispensable and necessary, is what he says. And then he goes on to describe how we are to minister to one another in in these different roles. Now, I like how the NASB words it here, but looking at verses 22 through 24 Listen real quick. It says, On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem, or we judge, less honorable, or make an estimation about less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. I like how that's worded. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. 
But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. This is the type of community that the church should be. That anybody coming in who, who, has the, uh, who, who seems to have less honor, they will be enwrapped with the love of Christ through the church and clothed with honor. That, that those that are, that are weaker will be lifted up. And that those that don't need to be lifted up, we're all going to that same level, right? We are to surround or clothe those we deem as weaker or less honorable with abundant honor and respect and esteem. So if we are tempted in that direction to think, to esteem somebody lower, you know what Paul is saying? That we're actually called to go and minister to them. We're not called to chalk them off. We are called to minister, to encourage, to exhort. Instead of deeming somebody else as not important, we are to clothe them with importance. Why? Because that is what God has done to all of us. Through his crucified body, he has brought together people from different backgrounds and cultures and social situations to him. And he has given us honor that we have not deserved. He has brought us into fellowship with him, which we did not deserve. Because he loves us, because he first loved us, we love him. Paul is confronting our own judgment of someone that we deem weaker in the church. And he says that God has designed the church to be this way. He has brought weaker people. He has brought prominent people. He's brought us all together in this place. And it is necessary. He says in Romans chapter 12, talking about the body again, he says, for though, sorry, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a member of measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. God has shown them honor by including them into the church and we are to honor them because God has honored them. We are to honor those who have been ministering in the seen ways and those who have been ministering in the unseen ways. I am thankful for and encouraged by those who I know are praying behind the scenes through the ministry of prayer. Those who have the gifts of help that keep this place looking great mowing the lawn and cleaning, who with the gift of helps are picking up a brother or sister to bring them to church, that honors the Lord and glorifies him. God has done this so that there would be no division in the church, but a concern for one another. It's what he says. In verse 25, so that there should be no division but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
It's an exercise in faith in following Jesus by ministering to our brother and sister. It's something that God has called us to do so that we are equal in the Lord's eyes, so that we are treating each other with value. And he gives examples here as well that when somebody suffers, we all suffer. When people are hurting, we're all hurting. When people are rejoicing, God's doing a great thing in their life, we rejoice alongside of them. We don't get jealous. We're like, right on, brother. That is so good. I love to hear that testimony of how God is working in your life. Praise the Lord. In John 13, 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How beautiful a picture this is from, for those outside the church to see the church function in unity and love. To see us gather here, different cultures, different backgrounds, ministering to one another, helping one another. You see that the good news, the good news is that the church, the body of Christ has been designed by God. The church is his plan and gift. God has built his church to be the place where the Holy Spirit is active through its members. A place where unity and mutual love dwells. The good news is that we all have a God-given, God-created purpose and usefulness in the church. Not one person is more significant or insignificant, but each one has received gracious gifting and empowerment by the Holy Spirit to bless and edify the rest of the members of the body of Christ. The gospel is not only that we have salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also that we are a part of the church of God, his body through which he reaches the world. It's amazing to think upon the gospel. Jesus took on our flesh, came in the likeness of our body, God in the flesh, to take our sins upon himself that we might become members of his body. That's what Jesus had bought. He bought us a family. He bought us a position in his body. This is why we partake of communion together as a body. First and foremost, to remember his death. We proclaim his death. But Paul, earlier on, in chapter 10 of Corinthians, we see that we partake together in communion as a body And that speaks to the world. It expresses our unity in the Lord. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing the body of Christ? 
And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are all that we are one body. So when the church is gathered together and we take communion, though we're not physically breaking bread like they would have in that day. We are proclaiming to one another that I am saved by the same Jesus you are. We are coming together in the same salvation to praise the Lord and to thank him for what he has done. You see, the collective worship of Christians at the Lord's Supper expressed the unity among the members in their participation or fellowship in the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. The one loaf of bread of which all partake pictured their unity as members of the one body of Christ. That's what unifies us is what's right here. You see, there is a wrong way to take communion. And Paul addresses this in chapter 11. And in the context, Paul starts out by saying that there are divisions among the church. Members were looking out for their own interests and not the interest of others. Members were looking out for their own concerns, unconcerned for others. And the church Paul called it to examine itself before it came to the table. Individuals examining their actions towards others in the church before the Lord. Making sure that we are honoring Jesus in our actions as we partake of communion, which proclaims the death of Jesus in our acceptance and the acceptance of our brothers and sisters into the body of Christ. So this morning we're going to have communion. And I want to invite us to examine ourselves this morning in light of the message. Have I been neglecting my participation in the fellowship because of comparison? Have I been comparing myself to another person and thus just sitting back? Have I been neglecting another brother or sister because I'm deeming them unimportant in the church. These are things that will cause us to partake of communion in an unworthy manner. Because God has called his church to unity and he's called every member to do their part. Father, we thank you for the Son. We thank you, Jesus, for laying your life down for us. Lord, that your body was broken for us, that we might be brought into fellowship with you. Lord, that we might be brought into this body for the people that you Filled with your spirit to be your representatives and to do your ministry in the world. Lord, that others might be added to this family. That others might be able to proclaim 